How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I am Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 94. Oh, it's raining, Zeke. It is raining, and it was really <laughs> hot the other day, and yeah. It's, it's uh, just refreshing, that's all. Um, it is refreshing. Yeah. It doesn't feel like spring or summer or whatever season Perth decides Feels like itself to be. strange fifth season of the world. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, speaking of 94, Jake, are you ready to hear... Your 1994 quote, yeah, movie from that year. This is a this is a determining uh, vote because I'm two for two right now. Yes, and this is a big one. A big one. 94 is a great year, so I'm gonna have to wrap my head around this one. Okay, let's do it. I have a couple, but I'll go with the first one. Oh, I thought that was the quote. (laughs) I have a couple. No. All right. All right. go. Go ahead. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Oh. I want to... S- oh, that's my laptop. I want to say... Because um, I know Pulp Fiction is 94, but I don't remember that quote from Pulp Fiction. So... Would you like the second quote? Yes, I would, yeah. The world went and got itself in a big damn hurry. Oh... Damn, I know this. Okay. Yeah, you'll Because I know how it was delivered. It was sort of this... Oh, crap. The world got itself in a goddamn... What was it? Not goddamn... Uh, no, big hurry. damn hurry. Oh, big damn hurry. Oh, my God. I'm punching myself right now. Oh, that's driving me nuts. Do you have another quote, D? What was the first one again? And Hope is Unfortunately, lost, I'm not sure I can give it to ah. you this week. But I'll give it to you on the third quote. Get busy living or get busy dying. Wow. See, Shawshank Redemption, yes. 94. I forgot that came out in 90. Wait, is did that a, come out in 94? It, it is a 1994 film release. Wow. Damn. Because I was thinking, you know, Lion King, Pulp Fiction. Like These yeah. are the 94 films I'm thinking of. Uh, the other one, oh the my God. world got himself in a big damn hurry, was from Brooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we, uh, yeah. See, that I think that's where I went wrong, is I didn't realise that film, I thought that film was like five years afterwards. No, I was so wrong. Okay, well, I'll take my loss. I'm, I'm, I thought I'd be really good at the seek. Yeah. But I'm, I'm on the losing end. <laughs> that really sucks. That's <laughs> uh, okay, bud. Comebacks on, but you've still got a couple more attempts in the decade. Yeah. There's one thing I want to mention quickly before we get into our next section of the show is yes. we've talked about this Uncharted movie a lot mm-hmm. throughout the show, and they actually finally wrapped the other day. They did. Which wonder what hodgepodge that they'll <laughs> come up with. Well, it's kind of a surreal moment for me because I've been following this film since primary school. I remember in 2010, like, Googling, mm-hmm. like, when's Uncharted 3 going to get announced? When's the Uncharted movie going to get made? And so, I just want to point out, it's a bit of a surreal moment for mm. me, almost. And uh, I'm calling it now. I'm calling it out. It's going to do that fan four stick thing where, like, the thing that should have been a part of the film is going to get revealed at the end. I'm telling you, Sully, yeah. Sully's not going to get his moustache until the very end of the film. That's my theory. And I hate that that could happen. Just die a little thinking about it. Yeah. And the, hey, kid, I'm thinking of growing a moustache. <laughs> I have to wait for... If he says that, I'm going to 
hurt someone. Oh, well, as long as he doesn't say, what are we, some kind of suicide squad, we should be all right. What are we, some kind of uncharted territory? <laughs> oh, that's bad. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just as well you had brought that up, Jake, because in terms of what we've seen new in the last week, mm. I'm afraid I have not got much to offer oh, this week. Oh, no. It has been a bare bones week for me. Did you watch anything outside of the film of the week? I don't think I did. It's just oh. been a really big, full-on... We obviously had the last week of semester. Um, that took yeah. up a lot of time. Well, I checked your letterbox this morning, and there wasn't any updates, but you also hadn't included the film of the week, so I wasn't sure if you just held on a bunch or... Mm-hmm. No, or unfortunately, I did not uh, this week. That's I didn't all right. catch anything. We'll so. probably make up for it in the career section a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. What about you, man? I I didn't catch much either. I'll start with... Uh, so I bought a bunch of Blu-rays. This is a funny thing. The King of Staten Island, Baby Teeth, and the El, El Camino Breaking Bad movie mm-hmm. all came to Blu-ray on the same day. So I actually made a point, like, last Wednesday to go out and buy all three mm-hmm. on the same day. And I'm annoyed because Baby Teeth is only on DVD. It's not on Blu-ray, which really angers me. Mm. Uh, but anyway, the, the reason I'm talking about this is because El Camino actually has a little Breaking Bad short film on the DVD called Snow Globe. And what it is, it's a little, like, two, three-minute short of Todd, of course, Jesse Plemons. Uh, He is painting all of the little mini figures that are in his apartment in the movie. Mm -hmm. So when Jesse goes in the apartment, there's, like, all the little miniatures and the the Snow Globe, and he's, like, painted Lydia and stuff. Uh, it's, It's him making those. And he leaves a voice message for Lydia, kind of trying to ask her out or ask her out on a date. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a cute little thing. It's you know well shot. It's a Breaking Bad shot. They must have done it in the you know during setups and El Camino. Mm-hmm. But it was also like ah, it's cute. Didn't really mean anything. Could have lived the rest of my life without seeing it. Sort of thing. Yeah, you know, if I had to be harsh, but yeah, but it's um, a nice little bonus feature to check yeah, on there. Exactly. It's on the disc. It's fun. Um, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube as well, but. Yeah, the only other film I caught this week, which is really good because it's very... Look, I don't want to say it's similar to the film of the week, but it's definitely in the same vein. And I'd put this film up there with the film of the week and Baby Teeth in mm-hmm. sort of the same pantheon of 2020. Yeah, in, yeah indie. I would say all three of them are indie films. Uh, I watched Kajillionaire. Yes, I did see your review for this. It was very positive. You thought this might be your favourite film of the year. It's definitely up there. It's definitely top three. So, Kajillion Air, for those who don't know, from director uh, Miranda July, who did films like Me and You and Everyone We Know, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen. I haven't seen any of other other films. But uh, the when I talked about Adam the other week, and I said mm-hmm. this is like the 2020 version of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, or as close as we're going to get to it, mm-hmm. this is the same equivalent but for Parasite. I think this is the closest we're going to get to a Parasite in mm-hmm. 2020. And the reason I say that is because the... The actual storytelling, the way it unfolds and the way you sort of learn what the, the meanings are and the themes mm-hmm. and just how the everything plays out, it reminded me of Parasite because it's just very clever and you're watching and be like, I don't know where this is going to go next. And I think that really works. It's about this family of sort of these penny pension thieves. So it's, you know, a, a mother, father and a 26-year-old daughter who's the, uh, the lead actress and her name is Old Dolio and that's her name. And the idea is that, you know, they're, they're like, breaking into, to, um, you know, post offices and stealing letters, hoping to get, you know, a couple of bucks out of each one. And mm-hmm. they're doing all of these little scams and things to make any sort of coin they can. And what the premise talks about is how, like, a third party comes involved and becomes involved in this family. But what I love 
is that much like a film like Swallow, which came on Stan earlier this year, it's a film that promotes itself as one thing and then you realise, oh, this is a completely different story. Mm-hmm. As this is all, you know, the penny pinching and all of this stuff, it's all a front for... Uh, I shouldn't say that because that's probably a spoiler, but a much deeper character study of of that family unit, of the three of them and of the main uh, actress. And... It's really excellent. Mm. It's just super excellent. Sort of that turn that Parasite takes and that, that midpoint. Switch, yeah, exactly. Right? When it's a fun caper and then you realise, oh, there's actually so much more happening and it, it's going in directions you don't expect it to go. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's as good as Parasite, no, but it, it's really clever and really endearing and there's a lot to take away from it. So I, I loved it. Yeah, all right. Did but, you yeah. catch anything else during the week? Uh, that was it. My Lord, did we have a quiet week this week uh we're, we're getting to the end of the year i think it happens yeah and obviously uh bridging into our career section mm. there's probably a little bit more to talk about um yeah well tell me why you were busy um yeah recently. obviously everything's starting to wrap up and last weekend i said we'd f- finished our reshoots for um the short film puncture yep week before that was the shooting for the short documentary on brain aneurysms and this week we're now in the midst because this is being done on the sunday uh we had just finished day one to shoot principal photography for cascade another nice. short film in which i'm director of photography for so and we should clarify by the time you guys are listening to this you would have wrapped yes so we're recording this a little earlier than usual yeah in uh, order to, to amend to your schedule literally yeah yeah uh, as soon as we finish here we'll be bumping bumping in for day two um, everything went really well last night. Um, mm. I don't think I've had to do that many small racks in one take. <laughs> really tested my hand. I feel like I was getting like carpal tunnel syndrome <laughs> doing it. Because <laughs> I was trying to like... Because you're, major... you're focused pulling yourself on the camera. Yes. Yes. Uh, while using a steady cam rig, I have um, Ooh, a nice around. photo <laughs> that unfortunately viewers, you won't be able to have a look, but... Jake can have at least have a good. I can I can describe it for everyone. <laughs> um, there you go. Ah, oh, that's cute. That's pretty much the. Same. That needs to be a new profile picture. Yeah, yeah. It was very very. So it's Zeke sweaty. and sort of a basically a full body rig, with the camera sort of sticking out. Yeah, it's yeah. a classic DOP profile picture. It is like look, <laughs> I have a camera. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and it was really nice to give that steady cam rig a, a real run for its money this time. Because uh, you never used it in its entirety Not personally, before. no. Right. Not on a film, no. It got used on the film I directed last year, but unfortunately um, I didn't get to use it personally, so this is the first time I really got to push it through its own. Yeah. Which every week it feels like all my stuff's getting more and more uh, uh, attention, um, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, went really well, some really solid performances. Um, and I'm really looking forward to finishing it up tonight and then seeing where it goes from there. But it, it's going to be pretty cool because as we, I mean, this time last year we were talking about our own showcase and our stuff going up. Yeah, and obviously yeah. they're still looking to do another showcase at the university you and I both used to go to. Um, it would be nice to at least see a couple of those films up there, you know being the ones that we've been talking about on the show. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. You've been working on so many projects back to back to back. and uh, Looking forward uh, is, to a day off. Yeah. Well, is, is the idea that all three of them 
would be at the showcase. They would be all eligible for it, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Because so um, we'll, they're all in we'll different see. categories. So, yeah. Um, That'd be pretty great, though. It would be. Could promote um, the crap out of it. <laughs> I don't... Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be nice to get... If I was to be realistic, I think two out of three is probably what we want to... Um, but it would be lovely to get all three. Yeah, for sure. Well, tempered expectations. I like it. <laughs> That's and, uh, what you do in the film industry. <laughs> well, uh, well you, you leave yourself open to be pleasantly surprised, which I think set is the bar nice... really low, so you always exceed <laughs> expectations. Um, so yeah. I can't believe Shawshank was... I, I'm sorry. I'm That's still okay. hanging up on that quote. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, with this one being the last shoot for at least the foreseeable future for me... Um, that's cool. Yep. I mean, I do think that I'll be looking to shoot stuff in December and stuff, but nice. it'll allow me after the next couple of weeks where I just wrap editing on, on the documentary and um, finishing up shooting today. Um, so it'll allow me to focus on just the documentary and just sort of wrapping up some of my own little tertiary study stuff. It'll allow me to start looking into my own projects, pushing those over in the break. Very nice. Very exciting. What about you? Um, I don't have a lot. I'm just going to reaffirm that this is probably your last chance. Well, actually, by the time this goes up, probably not. But the the newsletter, which um, we're recording this a little early, so it's actually meant to be sent out by the time you guys hear this. Uh, But either way, you can still subscribe to newsletters for Clicker Productions in the following months. So, Mm -hmm. again, go to our website, www.clickerproduction.com. Go to our contact page and put newsletter in the subject, and you'll be added to the newsletter. Um, I'm just waiting on some final... Because <clears throat> a lot of it is writing about other productions that we're involved in. Mm-hmm. So we need to get like permissions on how much we're allowed to say about per production. Yeah. So I'm still waiting on that. Hopefully I can get it up. Best case scenario, the first mm-hmm. of November would be great. But if I have to wait a day or two to get permissions, then that's fine. As long mm-hmm. as it's at the very beginning of the month. But um, subscribe, everybody. <laughs> No worries. Well, I guess it's time for us to move into our film of the week. But, Jake, what are we watching? This week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. I didn't see you at school today. I went to the doctor. What's wrong? Girl problems. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude? All the time. This is the most magical sound you will ever hear. Faced with an unintended pregnancy and a lack of local support, Autumn and her cousin, Skylar, travel across state lines to New York City on a fraught journey of friendship, bravery, and compassion. Aw, how sweet. Sounds like a sweet journey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. What, the descriptions of watching the film? What, you mean the friendship, bravery, and compassion? Yeah. Feels very, uh, kind of contrary contrary to what we were saying when we walked out of the cinema yesterday hmm. to an extent okay that's interesting so we caught this film yesterday morning yes yeah, um, so we've had a good 24 hours pretty much on the dot yeah digests never rarely sometimes always mm-hmm. uh, directed by eliza hitman uh who i'm who also conv- wrote it who, yep good call who also wrote it um and i'm pretty convinced that she watched our film cradle before <laughs> Before making this film. <laughs> it was pretty funny, right? There were a lot of strange parallels. Yeah, it's interesting. This is... I mean, we're not even being facetious. If you're listening mm. to this podcast and you, you've seen the film Never Really, Sometimes Always, go on one of our pages, so ZKJ Productions or 
Clicker Productions. It's on both YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. And watch our five-minute film, Cradle. Yeah. And tell me that, that there's not a few parallels in there. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, it's kind of interesting, right? Yeah. Um, I'm obviously joking. I'm not I'm not saying that she plagiarized our film. No, no, no. But it's definitely, it's nice to sort of see something of, of this caliber being put yeah. out there. And then, you know, something that we did on a on a non-existent budget and have very similar sort of shots in there. Yeah, even just the ideas and, and the... Some of the looks of the characters, even. I mean, th- you're right. This is a big film. It official selection at the at Sundance this past mm-hmm. year. Uh, it actually won the Silver Bear Grand Jury Prize at Berlin International Film Festival, which is the second highest honour okay. at that festival. Uh, so this is a well-received film. And I know I went in... And we, you know, we talked about it in the coming leading weeks into mm-hmm. this week. Uh, and I've said that I think the premise is like excellent. Yeah. This idea of, of, you know, these two girls, it, it's a great excuse to get them on a road trip across America. Yeah. This idea of like having to get an abortion. And we all know that state by state have different laws about abortion. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it's a brilliant premise. And I, I found it a little underwhelming in areas. I think it is a good, very good film. Yeah. But, I yeah, it I think it didn't deliver the promise of that premise in the way that I expected it to. In some ways I think it was a little more obvious in other ways, but when I say that there's nothing I feel like the film does wrong. Mm-hmm. I feel like every sort of directorial choice that a uh, Hitman well, has made it has made, rationale and justification behind it. Yeah, well I can I can tell you what the intention was for all of those and I don't think it always works to it the best of its ability. Yeah, sometimes it but, feels yeah. very uh, uh, preliminary, very sort of uh, surface level way of meaning there's not layers of intricacy to what they're trying to do with their intent. It's very direct from vision to screen. Yeah, well, it's a very quiet film. Yeah. So there's not a lot of dialogue, there's not a lot of talking or even just noise in general. Um, except for I guess like the 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 folly around New mm-hmm. York and and the busyness of people walking, but just the amount of scenes and we saw this in an empty field. We should point out that mm-hmm. we I mean that's ten a.m. Saturday showings. I'm not I'm not too surprised. Um, there were a lot of people in the lobby though. There were there were they must have been watching something else. But <laughs> but my my point is that we were able to talk during the movie and not like talk through it, but we're able to vocalize our thoughts. And there was a yeah. lot of scenes where there's just a no dialogue at all, which is bold and it's, and it's nice. Mm. I think it, it stamps its place and its quietness, but, um, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah. No, it's it's, it's, fair. it's kind of one of those films that there's nothing you inherently wrong with it. But it, like you said, I think one of the key things that you said when we walked out of it was there have been films that have tried to say the same things and have done it better. Well, not even necessarily say the same things, but tackle similar... They have a similar approach. To, and I compared it to Kajillionaire in the sense that Kajillionaire does a great job at, at pretending it's one story and ha- you find it by the end like, oh, it's actually about something completely different. And this film never tries to trick you. This film is always... It's about these two girls trying to get, or Autumn trying to get an abortion. And that is as far as I can tell you about the plot and the 
in terms of how many surprises the film's going to give. It's not going to mm-hmm. give you any surprises. It's a very quiet, sort of melancholic film where that's what happens. And I, like I said, every single creative decision that's made, I understand why. But I'm okay. Let's. I think the best example I can give because I feel like I'm running in circles and not yeah. explaining myself. Uh, so you have the two characters, Autumn and Skylar, who are cousins. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when I say quiet, like they are very quiet, and you really don't get a sense right until like the very end. You don't really get a sense of their compatibility or their friendship all that much. Yeah, it's absolutely. very between the lines. It's in their actions. Something that Skylar does towards mm-hmm. the end of the film is it speaks for itself for sure. But I felt like them being almost blank slates in a lot of ways. It was like okay, I feel like you know Eliza Hitman wants us to to embody ourselves into that character, project ourselves into yeah, this blank a place, canvas, placeholder ability there, and try to create two very empathetic characters, mm. you know? like people that you can look at and see that that person could be anyone and project yourself into those characters and the uncomfortabilities that they face are brought on with the viewer particularly with certain things involving um uh autumn's decision to abort and then some of the uh self-inflicted pain she has on herself which makes us the viewer real um and just really make us feel quite and especially when we see the result of that action in the later scene. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, you know, we've been on this journey with her this whole time. So by making them more, like you said, more blank slated, a little bit more open to interpretation and so quietly spoken, it allows the viewer to be like, you know, not far removed from that could be them. Yeah. Well, I've, I just feel like, you know, you know, if you're a teenage girl watching this film, and mm. there's some sort of relatability to it, and I think I think it can relate to people who aren't, you know, pregnant seventeen mm. year old women who it's the isolation want an abortion. thing. It's the isolation. Well, there's the family. isolation. There's the the idea of like there's just so much pervertedness around. Well, voyeuristic, scopophilic. Yeah, sort of. and I think there's a lot of general ideas that you can watch it and be like, okay, I, I associate with this sense of uncomfortability i suppose yeah i mean we should talk about that voyeurism and that sort of scopophilia too because that's a prominent part of the film and particularly the portrayal of men throughout the whole film Mm. um and particularly the male gaze is very overtly expressed throughout the film um most characters that male characters that have dialogue do something overtly sexualized and perverted towards well, yeah. the two female lead characters at some point or another. Well, you see, yeah, because there's so many different actions. I mean, there's the way that I think it's her dad that sort of just treats her like kind of like nothing, but then you take it to like the manager at the store that they both work at who kisses their hand as they sign out every night, which yeah. is just really creepy and really weird. There's the guy on the train who starts touching himself Go when it's the just the three of them. Yeah, so there's a lot of examples of that, and I know we were sort of... I don't want to say we were joking about it, but we were pointing out the fact that there was a lot of... And not to say that this stuff doesn't happen, but there's a, you have to strike a balance in this kind of film where it's like, oh man, there's really just no nice people in this film. Every guy is just creepy and perverted. But and it's, it, I think it's the 
at the end of the day, you, it comes back to, although that is a critique of the film, it can also be rationalised in Hitman's vision. What she's trying to do is she's trying to basically put you in the minds of what two teenage girls see. Yeah. Rather than not what actually could be what's being seen. Exactly. You know? And it's like, I'm not saying that this these are exaggerated circumstances, but if you watch a comedy, they exaggerate scenarios to make it funny. It's like, it's probably exaggerated, but there's a truth to it that makes it funny. And then you can use it in a dramatic sense here. Well, it's here. the psychological and subliminal messaging that each of those actions is happening uh, that really is what I think is trying to come through. Yeah. Was well, the idea that the whole world's is, against them. That's yeah, what it's trying to say. And, and their responses, their muted responses, um, and their very passive responses to a lot of that stuff mm. is pretty much... Um, sort of speaking out about how a lot of this stuff just gets, you know, let slide. The creepy manager that kisses them on the hand when they leave. Yeah. They don't say anything. They retract and they act a little disgusted, but they don't call him out on it. They don't say anything. Well, I mean, that's that's almost represented visually when they're in New York and there's just so much busyness around them, the world's passing beyond. It's like, what can they do? Yeah. As these teenage girls, like, what can they do? You Can they stand up to the manager, hey, stop doing that. It's like, you you understand watching this is like, you don't see them being able to do that. And the fact, you're right, Autumn especially is such a passive character. It's almost a miracle that she was so strong-willed to have this abortion that and no yeah, one that, could stop her from doing but it. But that is the one thing that she was yes. definably confident in her decision, which um, really comes back to the film being a very pro-choice sort of film. Mm. Um, and... I find that everything else in her life, she doesn't seem to have much control over. She sort of just flow goes with the flow with a lot of it. She's very passive. Um, I mean, the film starts with her already pregnant. Um, we yeah, assume, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so the events that have placed, you know, she's up on the stage performing, and the guy that she slept with that got her we pregnant. Ass- we assume she slept is, with. Yeah. yeah. Is 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 shaming her um and yet her family says nothing does nothing and she doesn't acknowledge it and says nothing mm. and it's very apparent that she's sort of just going wherever life takes her with little to no motivation of on that direction yeah and i think she has confidence in her decision even when there's a point when she is being filed through a collection of very hard answering questions she's still confident in that decision and never regrets it. Yeah, I think the only contradiction, because we're both arguing the same point, she's yeah. very passive. I think, I do recall, she does throw the water in his face yeah. at the dinner after. That, that's like the one example I can think of, but it doesn't have any effect on the plot or no. anything like that. Maybe you can say like, oh, well, they've severed ties, but it's like they probably already had at that point. Yeah. Um, and what I found interesting, yeah, we say that these characters are blank slates. I don't think that's entirely true. I've, they are. To, to an extent. But you're right, that questionnaire scene is a great little insight. And, you know, it reminded me of The Master when... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, when they're having that interview scene and you just learn so much. And you could argue, like, oh, it's a bit lazy writing. Like, you're learning so much. But it's like, I, I don't think it is because it really doesn't have anything to do with what's happening. But we're learning more That's about a procedural her. question, too. Yeah. It's, uh, it actually works pretty niftily into the plot and... I think is 
one of the strongest points of the film mm. that that scene because it shows a bit more acting chops uh it lets the camera sits and lets the actor do the work mm. you pointed out like a four or five minute shot yeah. in that scene and so that's sydney uh flanagan and of course uh, uh i think it's taylor Ryder, t-a-l-i-a writer uh who are the respectively the two leads and this is both their first films Wow. Yeah, and I know I know Taylor's done some shorts, and she's actually in the new Spielberg film West Side Story that's coming out next year now. I think it got delayed. Mm. Uh, but these are their first credits. If you go on Letterboxd, it's the only thing that comes up for both of them. And I thought that was quite clever to to do it, to cast sort of these unknown people. I said it to you in the theater. It was like, I'm, you know, 10 years ago, that would have been Ellen Page doing Absolutely. this role. And, um, yeah, for sure. I think and, so too, because it just helps add to that placeholdering rather than this is a performance by a well-renowned actress yeah and 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 to top of what you were saying earlier like i do agree that's the one time she really gets to shine as a performer yeah because as a character she's sort of realizing that she's a victim when when she's been listed off like oh have you been abused by a boyfriend or this or that um how many sexual partners have you had when do you lose your virginity i think she was like 13 or 14 Mm -hmm. which you know those are just interesting tidbits to find out yeah um, but again, that, I think that's all part of the wider pro-choice discussion of a woman deciding to be sexually active as a very young teen. Yeah. And I, that's what I love about, you see, like I, without getting too political, I am pro-choice myself, mm-hmm. uh, but I was surprised by the, they didn't make it easy in this film. No, and that's more, I think, a social commentary on the American system and mm. the sort of the uh, inaccuracy that comes even from being a couple hours drive away from one place mm. to the other. Yep. The fact that she was 10 weeks in her small Pennsylvanian town and yet 18 weeks in New York. Yeah. I mean, the inaccuracy of information. And one of them was very, in New York, they're very okay with the pro-choice. And then Pennsylvania, they're very pro-life. So, um the you know when your medical professionals are getting information wrong and then they're also telling you to keep the baby and then you know yeah to play the video <laughs> pay the ad i mean that was a deliberate choice to play this outdated 1980s video yeah it was for very sure apparent that that was this 40 50 year old man but even like i mean that's all absolutely what the film's showing is that it is hard to do it physically but what i meant when i said more obstacles yeah but what i meant when i said talking about thematically is if you walk into this film as someone who is pro-choice, you might think, like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to sit here and be... I agree with everything that I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. But what Eliza Hitman does is that there are points in the film where, you know, the 10-month... Oh, sorry, 10-month. I keep saying month, and that's... You probably should get your baby outside of your body mm-hmm. at 10 months. Um, <laughs> no, the, you're right. The confusion between the 10-week uh, pregnancy versus the 18-week pregnancy. Getting an abortion at 18 weeks is like, that's pretty late. Well, they talk in about the process. it in a now two-day procedure instead of a one-day procedure. Yeah, and it, you're right. It becomes like a, a bigger deal. When it, it's like, I think most people who are pro-choice, they still have a cut-off date. I still, the thing there's like, a, okay, once you're this many well, weeks, you shouldn't have an abortion. add that level of more question. Like, yeah, it's uh, the best stance anyone can make on any form of debate is by understanding both sides yeah. of the coin. Um, and I think what Eliza Hitman does well is she's willing to show this character at least having degrees of conflict 
or mm. conflicts that she might face and then by proximity what viewers might face if they have a similar issue. I think you're right with, with it being two different... You've got to understand both sides of the argument, but the film does villainize all of the people who are pro-life in the sense that they're all pushy and naggy and, and they're, they're making your way right. But like, like I said, I think there were times when even I was like, oh, wow as someone who was pro-choice and one of the scenes is like, oh, when you find it is 18 weeks and she's still like, I want to do this. The other time is when, and you mentioned it earlier, when she's punching her stomach and it's like, that's a very hard scene to watch. So it's, it's like, even though it's picked this political alignment in that way, it's still trying to shock both sides of the coin. I feel like. Yeah. I think it's just self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, Yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to add, Jake? Yeah, so I actually got a few quotes and a few notes about the production of the film and and, uh, Hitman's sort of thoughts on it. We actually, I think we picked up on this kind of subconsciously because we talked about the grain in the look of the film. Mm -hmm. And I I looked up and it, in fact, was shot in 16mm film, Kodak 16mm. So I'm very proud of it, see, because we we were sort of theorizing it looked kind of like it was shot on film. Yeah. Um. And one of the sort of advantages of that was to serve this sort of documentary style that Hitman's going for. Okay. And I know you were talking about this yesterday, but she actually does have a quote here um, about that. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, well, it's about documentary cinema verite and narrative and balancing those two ideas to make this film. And the quote is, Planned Parenthood, the organization read drafts and gave me access to people to interview and allowed us to shoot in their facility. It was a balance, I think, because obviously I'm not a documentary filmmaker. The film is ultimately a character study. I really tried to absorb as much perspective and information as I could, but then sort of shape it into a unique fictional story. Uh, So that actually goes off as well what you said about having the perspective and information and the fact that she went to Planned Parenthood and got them to read drafts and got their thoughts on it. So Mm. I actually have to give you a little more credit right off the bat just reading that because yeah you're right there's both sides being explored in the pre-production yeah. uh, side of things and again with the Kodak 16mm it, it added a bit of a a rhythm to resetting the footage and redoing takes uh, that these first time actors could actually you know work with and get used to and I think there's an article on Kodak's uh, website about this film and the 16mm that they shot on this film so that's pretty cool yeah so look it up if you're keen on that but um let me actually take a look here zeke because we've dissected the film a fair bit yeah well actually you know what let's talk a bit about we haven't talked about this character i forget the actor's name so i apologize i forgot to write it down um but the guy who plays the guy that they meet on the bus he's yes, very pushy I believe his name is right well he i recognized him in the netflix show atypical he actually plays the lead sam uh, in that film so it was weird to see him here and sort of act a little more neurotypical than he does on that show. But, I mean, he, he serves the purpose we were talking about, Zeke, where it's like every... It is every guy, I should say, that is perverted or has alternate... Theodore Pellerin. Theodore Pellerin, thank you very much. He is clearly out to get something, and it's cool mm. to see, I mean, in a messed up way, but narratively it's cool to see how the two girls use his lust as a way to get home because mm. they need to get extra money to be able to get home after the operation's all done. And that's... 
it's not my highlight scene, but it is a great quiet moment where we talk about these characters are blank slate, so we don't feel much of the relationship between Autumn and Skylar. But that moment when we see Skylar's willing... she I mean, she's already proved herself willing to help by traveling mm-hmm. and doing all these things and giving her money and all this stuff. But the fact that she ends up sort of having a, to make out with this guy and do things with this guy... To, In order to get, yeah. Yeah, and, and this obviously when they hold hands and so like, it's just a great visual moment of their friendship. So mm. it's very subtle and very few and far in between. But it is there, I suppose. Yeah, and it's a real moment too. Yeah. But um, no. he was good as well as <laughs> as an actor. <laughs> I should clarify. So, would you uh, like to move into? Uh, you got anything else you'd like to add? Um, I think I'm good. Yeah, let's jump into our highlight scenes. Well, I have to say, unfortunately, oh, the other thing I'd like to point out before highlight scenes was the okay. editing was really solid. Good editing. Yeah, There's some really good jump cut. Uh, jump. Transitions. Oh, that, yeah, that transition. There was multiple of those on the bus. They were really good. There was one you pointed out that threw me off where it's like the train and it like pans over. For, it's like bush to the, the city land or something. Like. Yeah. It was some transit where you... I was like, oh, wow, that was... A, like, I wasn't even consciously thinking about it. It was a clever transition. Yeah. It was really impressive. Um, yeah, I have to say, probably the title sequence is probably the strongest scene. In the, Interesting. Um, which, where I say the title sequence, I mean the scene where the title comes up the never rarely sometimes always questionnaire scene i think is probably the strongest scene in the film for me okay what are you are you talking about the opening no, so, no. oh okay the actual questionnaire scene yes yeah that was a yeah i i loved the reveal because we didn't know what the title meant no. and i thought it was going to be some weird like oh it's a contradiction these words it's like no they're commas dumbass yeah. <laughs> and then yeah they use um because she says it multiple times before it clicks in your head. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the title. Once she starts saying those words in succession closer and closer to each other, it's like, oh, it's it's a really clever like title with roll credits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was definitely yeah. um, the strongest scene for me. From performative, uh, from not over, over the top in terms of camera work and just letting, you know, it's one of the strongest character building moments. Yeah, for sure. That really helps you back her decision to, you know, take care of herself first. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, that's something we haven't even talked about is the moat, like being motivated from, in terms of the way a film tries to get you to root for a main character. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess this film does it in Strauss because we do see her home life is pretty. She's pretty invisible to her family, and yeah. she's got that bad. So I guess like they sort of hit all those steps, but it's it's all in those little forms of sort of misogynistic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it's pretty clever, I suppose. The highlight scene for me is probably, and I mentioned it earlier, the scene when Autumn is she's just had the pregnancy, or she's coming to terms with it, mm-hmm. and she's staring in the mirror and starts punching her stomach really hard to the point where it's incredibly uncomfortable to watch, and I. Uh, is it's not an easy watch, but it is my highlight scene because, again, it's just an example of how this film sort of stands on its feet with as a pro-choice film, and really it doesn't. Uh, you know, it's funny. I had I had the word written in my notes, and I I think I've written the wrong word. <laughs> oh, you know what? I was meant to say delicate. That's why it's not a delicate approach. Where it's like we're gonna we're gonna get an audience that are pro-life and ease them into this mindset and show them like, no, this is why we should have 
you know, more accessible abortion options and stuff, it's not the most delicate approach to that. No. Because scenes when she's punching herself in the stomach is like, whoa, okay. That's, it's hard to stomach. Yeah, absolutely. No pun intended. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> well, uh, that was our review for Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which is currently out in cinemas. Near there you here. go. I think if in the US there are VOD options. There we I go. I think. Speaking of VOD options, Jake, what is new <laughs> in streaming platforms and cinemas this week? It's a pretty slow week this week, Zeke. Uh, coming to Netflix, the SpongeBob movie Sponge on the Run. Mm. So this is actually the new one that's coming out with uh, Keanu Reeves, and it's see SpongeBob and whoa. Patrick. Whoa! Travel to the lost city of, to the lost. I have the lost city of Atlantic City. Who wrote this thing? <laughs> uh, to solve the mysterious kidnapping of Gary the Snail. Who took Gary? I don't know. How dare they take Gary, my my boy. Uh, coming to Disney Plus this week is The Fault in Our Stars. Mm-hmm. If you want to catch a classic in cinemas, uh, you can go to Hoyts and watch films like Alien and Die Hard, which are both playing at Hoyts this week. And uh, coming to cinemas... I'm getting all these emails in my way. Get out of here. Coming to cinemas, Radioactive, which sees uh, Rosamund Pike return to the screen to play Marie Curry, a scientist whose commitment to science remains the strong um, remains strong despite the death of her beloved husband and she tries to explain previously unknown radioactive elements it soon becomes a terif- terrifyingly evident that her work could lead to application in medicine that could either save thousands of lives or applications in warfare that could destroy them by the billions sounds intriguing but yeah but i i do like my amazing amy i don't see her enough in films is, so, uh, is that rosamund pike yeah i would just i would just say she's gone girl <laughs> she has gone baby she was gone girl she was and now she's back in the year 2020 of all the years to come back well, Jake, <laughs> uh is that all you got yeah me? yeah that's wow, uh, that really was a quiet week yeah it's uh, um, not a lot this week in cinemas we're not watching any of those next week on the show <laughs> we're moving into another director's corner yes uh 95 mo- yeah but what's the director and what are we watching i i like how casual you are where it's like, Jake, what are we watching next week? And then the director, but oh, what are we doing, Jake? I don't know. <laughs> I, so I, just, I do know what we're doing. But it's cool. Like, I always like, feel like I asked this question. It's just, it's just, a, it's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Audience, I call all of the shots. I make every decision ever. <laughs> uh, He's the one who knocks. I am the one that knocks. So next week, uh, we are going to look at Catherine Bigelow. As our director of the week. And this is something we want to do for a little while now. Yes. And we kept pushing it around. We were meant to do it five episodes ago. But yes. we wanted to coincide Coppola with On the Rocks and all this stuff. But we can finally do a film next week. We're watching The Hurt Locker. Welcome to Camp Victory. Oh, Camp Victory? I thought this was Camp Liberty. Oh, no. They changed that about a week ago. Victory sound better. All right. So what do you got? The car has been parked illegally. The suspension is sagging. There's definitely something heavy in the trunk. Interesting. What's he doing? I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die comfortable. How many bombs have you disarmed? 873. 873. You're a wild man, you know that? Not too bad. Our first time working together? What do you think? I think us working together means I talk to you and you talk to me. Are you going on a date, Sanborn? Sergeant William James is tasked with training a bomb disposal team during the Iraqi war. His ideologies and reckless approach towards the job gives rise to conflicts with the subordinates. 
I've never seen the word subordinate subordinates. <laughs> I said it right. Subordinates. The, subordinates. I said it right the first time and then stuffed it up. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I've never seen this film. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. I've never seen a Catherine Bigelow. F- I haven't seen this or Zero Dark Thirty. So interesting. I'm gonna see if I can try and catch both in the next week. Um, yeah. I'm really keen for yeah. it. Um, I'll have to go through and see what films I have seen from her. I have seen a couple of her films. Okay. But, um, like Point not, Break. <laughs> right, but not those two sort of big... No, well, Hurt Locker was the one she got a lot of Oscar praise for. Yeah, I know. It won big, and I know Jeremy Renner was... This was kind of his praised. breakout thing, so. I think so, yeah. Well, I, I was watched... in the town, I think, were his two gotcha. things. I watched this film pretty much after it came out in uh, 2008. So I would have been like 11, maybe 12 mm. uh, at that point. So I, it was hard for me to review it from that spec because I was a kid. I was a little kid. I, I was should yeah, have been course. watching The Dark Knight instead, you know. Because that's a kid's film too. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, it's it's still explosions and superheroes. Yeah, sure. well, I'm, I should have been watching Iron Man, let's say that instead. Okay. But uh, I will say the ending shot is still very impactful. Even at that age, I still like got what they were trying wow. to do with that I'm last looking shot. Forward so, yeah. to seeing it. Cool. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with The Hurt Locker.